Please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, where we are currently, as we've gone through the Heidelberg Catechism, Heidelberg Catechism does what our Westminster Catechisms also do, and they exposit the Lord's Prayer. And uh, we have this morning the first part of verse 10 of, of Matthew 6, so we're in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. And uh, we are considering that part of the Lord's Prayer, Your Kingdom Come. The petition that we considered last time, the one just preceding, Hallowed be your name, is in asking for God's grace that we would be able, that God would enable us to hallow his name. And it was explained that in praying for the hallowing of God's name, we are not asking that God would become holy. No, he is already fully and completely holy, we are rather asking that he would be recognized as holy, that he would receive the glory that is his due from us and others. And this next petition, your kingdom come, is related to God's name being hallowed. For when we pray for God's name to be hallowed, we are praying for God to work in our hearts, and we also are praying for him to work in the hearts of others, that he would be honored, that he would be revered, that he would be worshipped that he would be praised as he deserves. We are praying that God will be glorified by us, by all of his creation. It's only natural then to ask, well, what is it that glorifies God? Lord, what is it that must take place for your name to be hallowed? And God tells us what brings honor to his name through these petitions that follow, through the second and third petitions, your kingdom come, your will be done. And when we understand what is being asked for in these two petitions, the second and third petitions, we soon realize that there are two specific ways that we can and must pray because we want God's name to be hallowed. So this is the context in which we consider the second petition, your kingdom come. As part of hallowing God's name, you see, you and I must desire and We must do what we can to promote the kingdom of God. So this morning I want to have us consider this second petition under three points. First of all, what is the kingdom of God? And second, how do we belong to it or how do we know if we belong to it? And then thirdly, it's coming and what specifically we are praying will happen when we pray your kingdom come. So we begin with what is meant by God's kingdom. We're praying for God's kingdom to come, so we need to know what it is that is meant by God's kingdom. Well, in general, a kingdom is a realm or a domain over which a king rules. If we break down the word kingdom into its two parts, we have king and dumb. Dumb means a domain or jurisdiction. And so kingdom literally means the domain or jurisdiction of a king. And so a kingdom implies the existence of a king who has authority, who has power to rule over the subjects of his realm. This definition helps us to understand what the Bible means when it says that God has a kingdom. So Psalm 103 verse 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. The kingdom of God in its broadest understanding refers to his rule over all of his creation. For God, his realm is not just 
the people and land of this or that country like an earthly king, but no, his realm is everything of his creation, every star, planet, tree, rock, animal, nation, and person. So let us first of all consider, well, let's, let, let, so as we think about that, if everything belongs to God's kingdom, what does it mean then to pray that God's kingdom would come? Let's consider, first of all, what this doesn't mean. The request for God's kingdom to come is taken by some in a wrong way to imply that God is currently trying to establish his rule as king over his creation. For some, this petition implies weakness, as though God is in some kind of a struggle to exert control over certain people or forces opposed to him. Some people say that God is currently fighting Satan, and is apparently unable to defeat him. And we all recognize that Satan is opposed to God, and he rallies his forces against God in the cause of his kingdom. But is it true that they are equals who are both trying their best to take over the world and to claim it as their kingdom? Those who believe this take the petition, your kingdom come upon their lips as a kind of pious expression of their hope that God will somehow, some way, defeat Satan, and subdue rebellious sinners who are under Satan's sway. Essentially, then, this petition is their way of saying to God, Lord, I hope that you are the one who wins. Well, this is not what we are praying when we say, your kingdom come. For the reality is that God is king. He is the sovereign ruler right now of this universe, and he has always been. 1 Chronicles 29.11 says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Satan is not an equal to God. In fact, Satan is a created being. He is an angel. In the opening chapters of Job, we are given a glimpse into God's interactions with Satan, and we find that Satan can only go as far as God allows. It's clear he is not a free agent able to do whatever he pleases. God is the free agent who is right now guiding everything, even Satan, exactly as he pleases. Simply confirming what our shorter catechism says in question and answer 7 When it asks, what are the decrees of God, and then answers this way, the decrees of God are his eternal purpose, according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Everything that comes to pass, everything that happens, has been planned by God. Related to God's decrees are his providence, and the larger catechism explains God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all his creatures, ordering them and all their actions to his own glory. And we remember that, again, Satan is a creature. He is one of those creatures who also is ordered by God to his own glory. And there's, of course, a lot of mystery to that. But nevertheless, we believe that there is not one single thing that ever has or will happen that is outside of God's plan. God is ruling this world, and everything is taking place, even though we may not understand how, for the glory of his name. And so when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we're we're not praying for God to become the sovereign ruler of this world. He already is that. 
But meanwhile, the rule of God's kingdom is such that it does not always appear that he is ruling all things. Indeed, there is what the Bible calls the dominion of Satan. Notice how the book of Acts describes salvation as being delivered from the dominion of Satan. It says there in Acts to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. That's Acts 26, 18. To understand what is meant by the dominion of Satan, we have to go back in time. We have to go back to the time before the fall when there was a kingdom of God on earth where it was fully recognized by man that God is king. When God created Adam, he made him in his own image so that he knew God and loved God and in everything he did he sought to serve God. And when God gave Adam dominion over all of the creatures on earth, the whole goal of his life was to rule under God's authority, to rule over this creation in such a way that he and the creation always glorified God. But then we have the fall of man into sin when Adam decided he did not want to serve God any longer and allied himself with the devil. And in that state of rebellion, Adam began using his life, his mind, his will, his body, his energy, as well as this creation in the service of sin and unrighteousness. God allowed this. God permitted this. This was a part of his plan. That's part of uh, a part of his plan that we don't always understand but God has allowed Satan to rule over the hearts of sinful men in fact he warned man that there will be death upon sin upon any rebellion and so the result is that there is this kingdom of rebellious men a kingdom of Satan which is in opposition to God's kingdom in fact all of us by nature as we come into this world born in sin belong to the kingdom of Satan and in that state of spiritual death that belongs to, uh, that's connected with being under his dominion. I'm talking about a life that is but continual rebellion and sin against God. But over against the spiritual dominion of the devil, God has his own kingdom among men. By his grace, God chose to restore his kingdom rule over Adam and other elect sinners. And so this kingdom can be found anywhere we find believers in Jesus Christ. This is basically what is meant when the Westminster Confession of Faith says that the visible church is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we think about the kingdom of God on earth existing in some kind of a visible way, think of the church. Think of the people of God, people who now submit to Jesus as Lord This doesn't mean that the visible church and the kingdom of God are entirely one and the same thing. I'll explain that some more in a moment. But the Westminster Confession of Faith is correct when it says the visible church is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to bring up this at this point, this distinction that theologians make between the church of Christ as visible and invisible. What these terms refer to as the church as we know it on earth and the church as it is known by God. The invisible church would be the church that is made up of all true believers from all ages. It is invisible from the perspective that we can't see those believers who are now with God in heaven. We also can't see those elect believers who are yet to be gathered into the body of Christ. It's also invisible in the sense that God knows the hearts of all men 
and knows exactly who are all of the true believers, but we don't. Meanwhile, on earth and from our perspective, we know the church as a visible church. We can't see into the hearts of people to know with 100% certainty who are truly believers, but we can evaluate people according to what they outwardly say and do. And we believe the invisible church of true believers is found in a visible way in the church institute here on earth where we have people outwardly and visibly professing faith in Christ, people acknowledging him outwardly to be Lord and accordingly doing good works to glorify him, coming together in worship, working together to advance the gospel on earth. The problem, as I've hinted at, is that with the Visible Church Institute here on earth, there are tares among the wheat. We acknowledge that the Visible Church, the church that we know, the church that we interact with, doesn't consist only of true believers. Some are hypocrites. In trying to define the kingdom of God, it's helpful to remember this distinction between the visible and invisible church. The kingdom of God is not entirely visible to us. Think of how God rules now in heaven. We don't see that rule. Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father, and God rules in heaven over the saints who have died and gone to be with him. The kingdom of God includes God's rule over the angels. That part of the kingdom of God we also can't see. The kingdom of God consists of his rule over all of creation. One day the kingdom of God will be made manifest in Christ's rule over his body as we live under him in the new heaven and new earth. And so the kingdom of God really refers to anywhere and in any way that God exerts his rule as king. But for us on earth, where currently there are many living in rebellion against God, we find the kingdom of God in the church. The kingdom of God on earth is not to be thought of as congruous with any earthly governments or institutions, no matter how godly they may become, but the kingdom of God is congruous only with the visible church. Sinners are brought into the church. They are brought under the lordship of Christ. As people begin to live for Christ as their king, they're naturally going to work. You should be thinking of yourself as an ambassador for Christ, working to bring everyone and everything around you in conformity to Christ's will. That may mean we find governments and businesses and earthly institutions which are godly through the influence of Christian people who have been converted to Christ through the gospel, but these social entities never are themselves the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, as we find it manifested on earth, is to be equated with godly believers themselves, who in submitting to Christ are naturally working to bring all things into conformity with Jesus' will as king. So whether at home, school, church, in your work, in society, wherever you may be, whatever you may be doing, all things are to be done consciously and deliberately as a servant of Christ. The word of God should be brought to bear upon all parts of your life. You should be asking yourself, how would Christ as my king want me to conduct myself in every part of my life? how you treat each other in your relationships, what you do with your time, the attitude and way in which you work, what you are living for, all of these things should be affected by the Lordship of Christ. So then that brings us back to the question, what is the kingdom of God? 
And I think we naturally, our first inclination is to think of God's sovereign rule over all things. And yet, as we think of this petition, your kingdom come, we have to realize, well, that already exists. God's sovereign rule over all things, that, that's something that has already come uh, in, in the sense that it's al- always existed. But there's the more specific meaning of the kingdom of God as something pushing back the curse of sin. The kingdom of God is something that can come, refers to God establishing his rule in the hearts of sinful men. And he does so by means of regeneration and by conversion through his word and spirit, whereby sinners who were once in rebellion against Christ now want to submit to Christ and begin to submit to Christ in all that they do. And the kingdom of God will come in its ultimate form when all sinful rebellion by the devil as angels, sinful men is all brought to an end at the coming of Christ. All of this is what we are to have in mind when we pray, your kingdom come. So how do we know if we are in the kingdom of God? Well, how is it that we come to be in the kingdom of God to begin with? No one can come into God's kingdom by their own choice. The kingdom of God is something that we have to be brought into. As I've already said, we naturally belong to the dominion of Satan. This is part of the sentence of death that we lie under because of Adam's sin. And as those dead in our trespasses and sins and belonging to the kingdom of darkness, we are unable to raise ourselves from the dead. And this reality is brought to us, brought to our attention by Jesus' words to Nicodemus, where he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. To even see the kingdom of God, to have any knowledge of it, any desire to be a part of it, and of course then to actually be in it, we must be born again. And as Jesus goes on to explain in John 3, we are born again by a sovereign, supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. So if we are to be in the kingdom of God, God must act to change our hearts. He must remove our heart of stone, give us a heart of flesh, where we see that we are sinners in need of King Jesus. And what happens when God performs this miraculous supernatural heart surgery is repentance. Repentance from sins where you want to turn back to him. You willingly acknowledge his rule over you. You acknowledge that you have not been acknowledging his rule over you, but you want to do so now. Don't think of God's kingship as God forcing people into his domain. He isn't a tyrant. He is not a, a dictator. His subjects are not unwilling slaves. No, God's kingdom is marked by freedom. Not freedom to do whatever we please, but freedom from all those things that take away from true life. Freedom from Satan's domain, from his dominion. Freedom from slavery to sin. Freedom from death. It's a joy and privilege to belong to God's kingdom under the rule of Christ. And once your eyes are opened by this work of the Holy Spirit, where you are born again and you you see your sin and you, you see your need of a Savior, and you accept Jesus as that Savior, you want to serve God. It works this way, that when you know that you deserve God's wrath for your sins, and then you also come to hear the gospel that God sent his Son to die for sinners precisely so that you don't have to experience his wrath, you respond by embracing Christ 
and his righteousness willingly, gladly, in fact, with awe and gratitude in your heart. It's just not possible to truly trust Christ for salvation and not love him and want to submit to him. It's just the nature of true faith. What flows then from faith and love is submission, is this willingness to serve him, to acknowledge him as your Lord. And as Christians, we're thankful that God has subdued our rebellion, that he has brought us to our senses. We are glad that he rules over us. We recognize it as a rule of love that's grounded in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it should be clearly stated that this coming kingdom of God is grounded in the person and work of Jesus Christ. There would be no saving, loving rule of God over the hearts of sinners without the work of Jesus. Jesus suffered the agonies of the cross in order to bring you deliverance from the domain, the kingdom of Satan. By earning your salvation, Christ has earned a place for you in his kingdom. And because of his perfect obedience and saving work, he is now exalted at the right hand of the Father as Lord and king, and he is there from his position of rule, now gathering his church, ruling over his church through his Holy Spirit. And one day when Jesus returns, that rule will be acknowledged by all. As Philippians 2 says, all will confess, all will bow their knees, and all will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And on that day, we will rule with him over the heavenly kingdom of the new heaven and new earth. So how can you know if you are in this kingdom of God and one day will be a part of the kingdom of heaven? Well, the key is your relationship with Jesus Christ. To be in the kingdom of God, you are required to order your whole life by God's authority. And when you personally know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord in the way of repentance and faith, you begin to think of your life in a whole new way. You understand that you exist to glorify him. You have the desire to study his word in order to find out how he wants you to live. Now, of course, as sinners, in the process of sanctification, our lives are not completely under the lordship of Christ. There are those who seemingly think that to be really a Christian, there has to be 100% surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there needs to be surrender, but are we ever in this life 100% surrendered to Christ? I'm sorry to say no, but there definitely has to be a desire and, to a great extent, an actual surrendering to the Lord Jesus Christ. You, You need to be striving to serve him. You want Jesus to be your Lord. You know that he is Lord. You know that he has called you to follow after him, and you want to do that. And the most obvious way you can demonstrate your desire for Christ to be your Lord is by your relationship to his word. As his word comes to you through sermons, through Bible study, through Sunday school classes and personal reading, God is confronting you with ways that you don't submit to Christ. You need to be reading the word that way. That you need to be recognizing, I don't submit to Christ, and what is God telling me in his word about that? And what is your response to the word of God? Do you use the word of God Um, as a way to willingly put yourself under the instruction, the admonition, the rebukes of God. You purposely listen for ways God is calling you to change. How do you approach the hearing and reading of God's word? 
For there are a number of ways that we can treat the Word of God. We can treat it as a textbook, as a theology book, just full of important facts and good doctrines that are good to know. Or perhaps you treat it like a novel that's full of very interesting stories. You can read it like a book on philosophy full of important and deep ideas that stimulate the mind. You can read it as a book of inspiration. The Bible is all of these things, but it's also a book of uh, 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 that, according to 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, is, is given to us for a specific purpose. It tells us there why we have Scripture given to us. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? What's the purpose? In order that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This tells us that the main way we ought to be reading God's word is as a how-to book, how to live as Christ's disciples, how to live as one under the lordship of Christ. Is serving Christ then the main desire in your life? And have you accepted him as your Lord? Are you submitting to his lordship and doing so more and more? These are the questions that bring out whether or not you belong to Christ's kingdom. So now that we understand the idea of his kingdom and what it involves to be in it, then we need to consider what it means to pray then for this kingdom to come. The catechism begins to answer this question by saying, rule us by your word and spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you. In other words, to pray for God's kingdom to come, it's a personal a personal prayer that Christ would rule in your heart, as I've just described. You, we should want God's kingdom to come within us, within our hearts, so that we are kept from sin and do what is pleasing to Christ. One person has put the words of the prayer this way, Our Father, who is in heaven, more and more rule over me by your spirit and word, over my heart and mind, over all my thoughts and desires, in order that I may not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of my, of my mind. Your kingdom come within me. And so the second petition of the Lord's Prayer is, first of all, a personal prayer for each one of us as an individual for our sanctification, for our growth in obedience. It's also a prayer for the church, for its ministry in the world. Again, recognizing the close connection between the visible church and the kingdom of God, people come into the kingdom of God through the church. And to belong to the one is to belong to the other. And so a prayer for God's kingdom to come leads us to pray things like this. Lord, keep your church strong. Lord, add to your church. Bring more and more people under submission to the lordship of Christ through the gospel. Destroy the devil's work. Destroy every force which revolts against you and every conspiracy against your word. Do you love Christ's church? Do you work for her peace and her well-being? You and I, in praying for the kingdom to come, are praying that the church will be preserved as a witness of the truth. You must then be praying that the church will not be carried away by the world, but will remain faithful in the midst of all kinds of temptations and, and, and persecution must pray that the preaching of the word will be kept pure from all false teaching. 
We must pray that the church's preaching, whether through pastors or missionaries or your own evangelism, will bear the fruit of more and more people coming under the kingship of Christ. So our desire is that the gospel would go to the ends of the earth, that hearts would be changed, that more and more people, through the truth of God's word in the gospel, would be regenerated, would be brought under the lordship of Christ. And then, of course, naturally, we look forward to seeing such people beginning to live differently and affecting this world. We, we do pray that society and institutions will be brought into line with the truth of God's word, with, with his law, because people then will no longer be doing whatever they think feels right, but will be, but will be doing what their Lord Jesus wants. But we must not lose sight of the fact that we're talking about the need for hearts to be changed. We need to pray that God's kingdom will come not in the institutions of the earth, but in the hearts of many through faithful preaching of the gospel. And finally, we pray in this prayer asking of God, do this, all of these things. Rule us, keep your church strong, destroy the devil's work. Do this until your kingdom is so complete and perfect that in it you are all in all. This has to do with the day of Christ's return when all of the elect have been gathered in and our work as Christ's church and kingdom people on earth as part of the visible church is when our part in that is over, then Christ will return as king. Our prayer ought to be that Christ would come, that he would establish his kingdom in its final complete, perfect state. As those who love Christ, who want Christ to be glorified, we long for that day when he will appear in glory, when he will put an end to all of Satan's attacks. Our prayer ought to be for what is mentioned there in Philippians 2, when every knee will bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right now, not every knee does bow. It appears that Satan has a lot of power. Some might even think that Satan is in control. But in the end, God's kingdom will be seen as the great kingdom that it is. And for that, we must pray. Our desire and longing must be for God's kingdom to be revealed, for God in that way to be glorified. In closing, I want to say that praying this, what this prayer really means implies that God's kingdom is precious to you. We are told in Scripture that we are to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Is that true or are you consumed with the things of this world? In your great longing in life to make for yourself a, a place in the world, or is that your desire or is it to take up a place of service in Christ's kingdom? I think that we are so often earthly-minded and so engrossed in seeking the things that are below, that are here in front of us, that we scarcely even know how to pray this prayer. This prayer presupposes that God's glory is the dominating force of your life. And now that you have a better idea of what this second petition is all about, by praying this prayer, you are saying that you are willing to give your time, your, your money, your energy, your very self, no matter what the cost may be, to the church to promote its role in the coming of the kingdom of God. You're saying that you are willing to take up your cross and undergo any amount of self-denial that is involved in faithfully following Jesus as Lord. 
you're making a declaration that you want your life to be God-centered and God-glorifying. And so when you think about this petition and what it's seeking from God, your prayer really, if you're like me, needs to be something like this. Lord, give me the grace. Give me the grace to pray. Your kingdom come. And come, Lord Jesus, get rid of any and all opposition to your rule. Lord, get rid of that opposition as it's found in me in a failure to surrender myself 100% in every area of my life. Lord, get rid of that. Get rid of the opposition that exists in the visible church. Get rid of the opposition that we now find in the world. Lord Jesus, your kingdom come. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we do pray that you would cause us to submit more and more to the Lord Jesus, to his rule over our lives. May we recognize the ways in which we are not submitting, the ways in which we are living in disobedience. Um, Lord, may we see your, in your word the ways in which we need to change to bring ourselves under under Christ's lordship. Lord, we pray for the work of your church. We pray for its witness in the world. We pray that many others will be brought into submission to Christ through the gospel. May we be instruments of that through, through our uh, giving to the church, through our own witness, through supporting the work of missionaries. Lord, in all of these ways, we pray that uh, the, the work of your kingdom on earth would, would increase and progress. And we, Lord, we pray that one day, all of the opposition that we now see against Christ would, would end. We look forward to that day when all the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord, will become the kingdom of Christ, when he will rule clearly, openly, um, over all people. Lord, we, we pray, Lord, that we would be with him as those who have submitted to him, that we will share in his rule Lord, if there are any here this morning that have not submitted to the Lordship of Christ, Lord, we pray that they would repent of their sins, that they would look to him as their Savior, that they would recognize that to have Jesus as King is life itself. And uh, Lord, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.